0: You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for his glory. Well, good morning and welcome to you all. It's great to be here and it is my privilege today to continue in our series in Galatians. Also, I'm hearing there's another heat wave on the way. Has anyone heard that? Yeah. Next week, yeah. And I'm really, really glad about that because I'm actually going on a holiday from tomorrow. And and I was thinking, oh, we're not going abroad. But actually, here is the place to be next week. So I'm really looking forward to it. Me and my family, we going to the lakes. So looking forward to that. Yeah, amen. You can applaud if you want. <laughs> but yes... Really pleased to be able to continue in our series today in Galatians, this title, which we're focusing on, freedom, a life worth fighting for. And over the last few weeks, we have focused on this interesting letter from the Apostle Paul to the Galatians, where Paul is quite passionate, to say the least, in realigning the Galatians to the truth of the gospel. There's been some kind of teaching that has been infiltrating this community And Paul basically is responding to this false teaching that has been spreading through this church. And to sum up briefly, this teaching was suggesting that the Galatians, who were Gentile Christians, were also required to keep the law of Moses. So it was this teaching that was making its way through this community. And so the Galatians have been influenced by this, and they believe that they needed the Torah the law, the works of the law in order to be righteous. Even though they'd already come to know Jesus, they thought they needed the Torah in order to be righteous. And therefore they were observing things like circumcision and observing holy days according to the law. And Paul, rightly so, is at pains to remind this church that one is only truly saved and justified through one thing, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. He's trying to realign them to this really important truth. It's not based on works of the law, although the law is important and I will talk about that a bit later on, but one is truly justified through faith, amen? And this reoccurring idea that we are justified or declared righteous through faith in Christ is something that we don't do through our own works, it's appropriated through faith and it's something that we've been reiterating throughout the last few weeks in this series. Dr. John Andrews spent a particular amount of time on this in our first two weeks. And then last week, Tracy brought a great message focused on the idea that through faith again, through faith in Christ, we are now brought into a new family, that we are heirs with Christ and brothers and sisters, part of one family. I don't know about you, but that not that an amazing idea? that through faith in Christ, he brings us into a family. It isn't just me and my God, although that can be nice as well. Actually, he brings us into a community at the same time, a community that we are supposed to engage with. And so this week, we are going to be focusing on Galatians 5, verses 1 to 15. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Galatians 5 if you'd like to, or a device. And we're going to read this as well. They'll come up on the screen, the words as well. Verses one to 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you? to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Wow, that's not in the scripture, that's just me. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And so we come to the passage today, which focuses on the key theme of our series, which is freedom, the idea of freedom. The issue being addressed here is that there's a risk, dare I say it, that if we don't live under the freedom that Christ has won for us, we could potentially lose track or go off track and put our hope in something other than Christ. We can actually allow ourselves to be rooted in something that is of us. So we start off running that good race through faith, but there's a risk that if we don't stay in that place of faith through what Christ has done, we can start veering off and finishing it in our own works or by according to the flesh, as some would say in the Bible that we can actually be deviated away from the fact that Jesus has won for us our salvation and has brought justification. And Paul says in verse two, he says this, it'll come up on the screen. He says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. And so what Paul is saying is, look, if you go back to observing things in the law like circumcision, if you do that, what you are doing in a sense is you you are saying you deny Christ and actually it doesn't change your standing before God anyway. You deny Christ and actually it doesn't change your standing before God. You're putting your hope in something else. And not only that, if one believes that they need to abide by one aspect of the law. What Paul is saying is that's not good enough. You then actually have to obey the whole law. So if you're trying to obey one aspect of it, circumcision, well, then you need to obey all of it if that's what you're going back to. But as we know, the law didn't free us. It put us under a burden of slavery because basically we were powerless to fulfill the law because the law was only ever meant to be temporary to point us to Jesus. Because through him, we are able to fulfill the law or through the lens of Christ, we're able to. And so what Paul is saying is like, why are you going back to that burden of slavery that was temporary? Why are you going back to that old way of doing things, which is redundant now, because now Christ has come, all you need is him. Anyone with me today? That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to let them know that they're putting themselves back under that slavery of the law, which was only ever meant to point to Christ. And so he's saying that you can't be free because Christ has freed you from that. Why would you put yourself back in that position? And I love this idea. It's this the, 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 the term that we would use is justification through faith alone. That's the doctrine, a key doctrine, a fundamental doctrine of what we believe. And I absolutely agree with it. I, I, love, the, what, uh, I love what it speaks about of that, you know, we put our faith in Christ and that is how we are justified. Not through our own works. It's not about us. It's about what God has done. And I really, really agree with it and I love it. But dare I say this, and this is a human problem, not God's problem. This is a humanity problem. At times, though, this idea is quite hard to accept. Maybe it's just me. I don't know about you. But for me, sometimes it's quite hard to accept because in our human nature, And Dr. Don Andrews spoke about this as well. We can feel like we must need to do something when it comes to our righteousness. Surely I must need to do something. You know, when I became a Christian about nine years ago now, it was a truly amazing moment. It was a moment of faith. God met me where I was through the power of his spirit. He drew me to Jesus. And it was a groundbreaking moment in my life. It was a moment of faith and it was spiritual and God met me. But you know, it took me time to understand what Christ had truly done for me and what that actually meant for my life as well. I was saved, I was justified, but it took me time to understand. You see, in my years before Christianity and even in my years when I became a Christian and up to before I joined church on staff, some of you may know this, I trained as a lawyer. And you know, being a lawyer, you've got to remember this. I have been trained in this idea that the law is really important. Yeah, the law is king. Okay, I have been trained in making sure that, you know, I understand the law, especially the aspect of law that I studied in. And in fact, part of my role was to look at contracts, contracts of agreements, commercial contracts, and see if people had breached the law. Yeah, so I was like a protector of the law, if you want to put it that way. And I got paid, money to do it as well. Sometimes lots of money. I don't mind saying that. So you've got to remember, this is the mentality I'm thinking. You know what? Keeping the law is really, really important. I'm looking at the small print. I'm helping clients see what needs to be done, what doesn't need to be done, where there have been breaches in this and that. And I say that because even though I knew that it was my faith in Jesus is what counted, faith, I couldn't help at times, especially in the early days, think, There must be some small print. Yeah? There there, there must be something else I need to do. Surely it can't be all one way. Surely I need to fulfill my end of the contract. Surely there's something that I must do. It seems a bit unfair. And also, I was brought up in a culture, which was a good culture, but it was brought up in a culture where you were... Made to believe, I suppose, in a way that what you did meant that you would get a reward. Yeah. So I was told from an early age, and I don't mind this. I think it was a good upbringing, but it's, it's interesting how culture and the world will shape your thinking. Yeah. I was t- told, you know, yeah, do your GCSEs, get good GCSEs. Okay, you've got your GCSEs. Now do A-levels. Okay, I've got my A-levels. Yeah, you've got good A-levels. Now, now, now go and do a degree. Now go, go do your degree. You got a degree. Wow. Now go train as a lawyer. Okay, I'll go do my training as a lawyer. And you've got your your, your qualification as a lawyer. Okay, now get a good job. Oh, you've got a good job. And now you've got lots of money. You've done it. Well done. And now because you've got lots of money, probably you'll attract a nice young lady who will want to be with you and you'll have a wife and a nice life. That was kind of the mentality that it was like, you do and then you get you do and then you get, this is what I was immersed in. And also the culture I was brought, in, brought up in as well. Not all of them were Christians. Some of them believed in other faiths. And there was definitely this belief that you had to work in order to gain favor with God. So this is all in my thinking. This is how I'm wired. But when I became a follower of Jesus, it took time for me to understand. But a key turning point in my life was this. It was when I did the Freedom in Christ course about two years into being a Christian, the Freedom in Christ course, and it was an amazing course. If you've not done the Freedom in Christ course, when we do it again, I encourage you to do it because it's really, really good in helping you understand who you are in Christ. And it helped me realize that my connection to Jesus is not contractual, it's relational. Yeah, any witnesses here? It is relational. It's not based on what I can fulfill. It's based on what he fulfilled. And that God isn't looking down at me, wagging his finger, thinking, oh, John, you had a bad day today. You've moved down in your level of holiness today. So, you know, try and do better tomorrow and maybe you'll move back up again. He's not doing that. He's not this God that's a tyrant and thinking, oh, you have to do this in order to please me. We do want to please God, but not to be righteous. And I realized this, the course was really good at making me understand this. It made me realize that I wasn't a sinner trying to get better. I was a saint saved by grace. I already was righteous and therefore I can stand before him no matter what day I'm having and still know that I'm righteous in him. I'm not a sinner trying to do better. I am a saint saved by grace through what he has done. You see, I'm going to preach Jesus to you for a moment. It's okay, because that's what it's about. It's all about him. We don't need to meet Jesus halfway in this. It feels like you might have to, but you don't. He took the step to come to us. He came down from heaven, made himself like us, so that we could then be included in him. And that is what is most important, is that actually you can't meet Jesus halfway in this, because only he could do it. Only he can make you justified. Only he is able to do it. And so it was really helpful. The freedom in Christ was just to help me to see who I was in him and to live from that truth. See, my doing doesn't add to my righteousness. Yeah? My doing doesn't add to my righteousness. It's about what he has done. And that's what I have to live in. And so if we're accepting this truth that it's about what God has done and who he calls us to be, I suppose the question is, if I can't do anything to add to my righteousness before God, does it then matter what I do? Does it matter what I do? If my justification is based on faith and I'm unable to make the law or meet the law, then do I need to obey anything? Does it matter? And the answer is a resounding yes. Just in case you're wondering, what's he gonna say? (laughs) But we live what we're calling today by a new obedience. A new obedience. If we go back to our passage, this is like a key anchoring verse I want us to focus on as we look at this idea of a new obedience. This is verse six of our passage. It says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So in Christ, we're now free from the law. Yeah, we understand that. But our newfound freedom is outwardly expressed. Yeah, it is outwardly expressed. It's something that we really have to understand this. It is still outwardly expressed. Faith even though it's put in someone, Jesus, faith, however, still has to look like something. Yeah? Remember John Andrews saying this. I'm quoting John Andrews because he's very good at this. It's okay to quote someone who's good at this. But I remember a few years ago, he preached on the book of James and he said, faith has a face. Faith has to look like something. It isn't this imaginary idea of I'm with Jesus and that's it. And it doesn't look like anything else. Yes, that is true but it looks like something. You see, our transformed nature, our new way of living is linked to our justification. It comes out of it. John Piper, a well-known and respected theologian, I love some of the things he's written and some of the things that he speaks on as well. And he said this, he said, our changed nature in Christ or our transformed nature in Christ is the fruit of justification, not the root of justification. It's from that, that we do things for God. So everything I now do comes out of being justified through faith in Christ. Yeah? Are you with me? Good. I'm not sure if you are, but let's keep going. (laughs) Everything I now do is rooted in faith in Christ. So therefore, because I'm justified, I want to obey. I want to live holy. I want to be with Jesus and live in a way that is pleasing to him. As a loving response to his gospel, which has saved me through grace, I then want to live for him. That's the fruit of justification. I now want to live sold out for him because of what he has done, because of the marvel and awe that I have for what he's done in Christ, I choose to shape my life now around Christ. And to put it another way, because we are new, Therefore, we choose to live new. Because we are new, we live new. Because I am holy, I want to live holy. My deeds express who I already am. My deeds don't make me righteous. My deeds express what I already am in Christ. It's the fruit of justification. So practically, what does this look like? Well, I just want to share three things with you that will hopefully help us as we seek to live out this idea of a new obedience. And the first thing I want to say is this. It's a new obedience giving us freedom to fail, but not a license to sin. A freedom to fail, but not a license to sin. So if we go back to our passage, let's look at Galatians 5.13. This is what Paul says. He says, you my brothers and sisters were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So what we do is important because our new position in Christ, as I said earlier, has implications now as to how we should live. But the danger that we can sometimes have or has been spoken about in years gone by, the danger is that we view our new position in Christ as freedom to do whatever we want to do. Why? Because I'm already justified. I'm already saved by grace. So it's important to get this, our freedom doesn't then give us the right to be willfully disobedient. Oh, I'm free, so I can just do whatever I want. I can disobey, because it's fine, I'm free. Or an official term for this mentality is called lawlessness. I can do whatever I want, it's okay. And lawlessness is this idea where it says, well, I'm saved by grace and saved through faith. So do you know what? I can sleep around with people if I want to. Mm, yeah, someone went, "Hmm." don't know what that means, but "Hmm." I think they were agreeing with me. Then it's not right to do. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, I'm saved by grace, and actually, you know what? As long as I've got my ticket to heaven, if that's all that matters, then actually I'll rip people off. Oh, I'm saved by grace. Well, if, if that's the case, then I can not forgive people, I can tell people that I don't like them, I can be nasty, I can be spiteful, I can devour them, I can do whatever I want. I can watch things that are not good for me. I might as well swear and be abusive because, yay, thank God for that grace which covers me. It covers all I do. In fact, in, in some weird way, wouldn't this be good? Actually, if I sin more, it shows that God's grace is even more. Yeah, through my sinning, people will see I'm glorifying God in a weird way because more of his grace comes. And Paul says, no. He says, no this isn't the type of freedom I am endorsing. You know, if we think that Paul was strong when it came to the issue of being free from the law, yeah, free from works of the law, he's just as strong when it comes to lawlessness. He's just as strong. I want us to look at these two verses in Romans 6. Because these are really, really important, actually. Another letter written by Paul, Similar kind of ideas he's talking about as we get to this part in Romans 6. And he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now you read those verses and it's easy to think that Paul is maybe just trying to make a helpful point to these Romans and going, oh, I just wanna clarify something to you about sin. You know, I just wanna clarify this to you. He is doing that, but make no mistake, Paul is strongly making himself heard, okay? Tone is everything. The tone is really important. And sometimes when you read things in the Bible or even in a book, if you read it quickly, you can miss the tone because it's hard to imagine it when you're reading it sometimes. And there are moments in my upbringing, upbringing when, I understand, when I understood the tone had changed, I understood the tone was a little bit different. You know, there were times when my parents changed their tone. And I knew this was serious. So my dad, when I was younger, and he wasn't happy with me, I knew the tone had changed because he would call me by my full name. Yeah? Anyone know what that sounds like? And it wasn't Jonathan Chand. It was Jonathan Chand. And I knew, okay, it's going down. So it's not right. Anyone got a good tone with their children? Put your hands up. You got a good tone? Yeah, a few, few. Well done. Yeah, yeah, well done. I need to learn mine. At the moment, I try to have a good tone with my son, but he just laughs at me. <laughs> um, Mom does a better job than I do, so I probably need to do a bit better. <laughs> anyway. See, if you read this passage casually, this one point I'm trying to make is this. What should we say then? Can we get that scripture back on? Sorry, just so everyone can see it. I think it's really important. Thank you, bless you. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. You miss the actual feeling sometimes in the original language. And by no means, the start of that second verse, it's meant to be said with gravitas, yeah? With, with kind of a bit of a rebuke no, 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 this is what I'm trying to say, by no means. You know, these letters that were written all those years ago, you've got to remember, a lot of the audiences were illiterate. So a lot of them couldn't have read it anyway. So what would have happened is it would have been spoken out loudly. Now, if it was spoken out loudly, rhetoric was really important. How it was portrayed, how it was spoken was really important in helping to disciple those disciples back then. And so... It needs to be said with seriousness. So what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. By no means. Or I say a modern day equivalent. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? How very dare you. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Don't even go there. I practiced that, and and, oh, gosh. And my wife is cringing at the back. But hopefully you get my point. Why is Paul so strong on this? Seriously, why is Paul so strong on this? Because when we come to know Jesus, we are justified, and we do receive grace. But what also happened... We died to sin. Yeah? That's why he's so strong about this. We died to sin. We changed and we don't live according to the flesh anymore. We don't live according to the flesh. We don't start in the spirit where God finds us and we meet him and then go, right, now I'll do what I want. No, no, no. From that faith decision comes a life that is fruitful for him. See, grace and justification is great. But I think sometimes, in a, in a healthy way, I'm trying to say this, it also comes with a warning because it can be manipulated. You now, let's increase our sinning to receive more of God's gracious forgiving. It can be manipulated. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't sin or get things wrong. We will. But our heart response in those moments should be, Lord, I might have messed up there, but my heart is for you. My heart is, I want to live for you. I repent and I say, I'm sorry, but I move forward because I want to live a life that you have called me to live. One that has been justified, but one that acts like it's been justified as well. I don't want to live by my own ways, but I want to live by your way. We can't live in sin any longer. How can we live in sin any longer? You know, we died past... Past tense, past, past tense. We died with Christ. How can we live in it any longer? Future. From that, we live the life that God wants us to live. And I also want to say this. I just felt I wanted to, I just sense wanted to say this for maybe some people here today. God is a great restorer. You know, if you've messed up, if you've made mistakes, God restores. And that's where grace is really amazing. But restoration is always to help us and grow us that we can learn and get better, amen? Not a license to do what we want, but to lean into when we do sometimes have struggles because we're humans and we don't always get it right. But that grace is there so that he can restore us. You know, if you've, had a, if you've had a mistake in your life or if maybe you've fallen away from God in some way, I wanna remind you, God still wants to restore you. It isn't, enough, it isn't just this thing that you can just turn on and turn off though but he does wanna restore you. If you've been away for a while, if you struggled, if you've been found yourself in places where you've been living by lawlessness, he still wants to restore you. He still wants to meet you where you're at and help you because that's the grace of our God. So let's remember not to use this freedom to indulge in the flesh or for lawlessness because it is a big mistake. Secondly, this new obedience is expressed through love is expressed through love. Let's read the remaining part of that passage that I just read. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And a sign that we are justified is that we are a loving community to one another, yeah? Not the outward sign where something needs to be done outwardly, what we can see physically, but actually the outward sign of love to one another is the way that we show that we are justified. So through Christ, we uphold the spirit of the law by obeying the one command to love your neighbor as yourself. We uphold the spirit of the law by obeying that one command to love your neighbor as yourself. And isn't it amazing because it said, we said at the beginning that we couldn't meet the law, but actually when we come to Christ through this one command, it says that we can actually meet the entire law, which is an amazing thing. And again, it speaks of the freedom that Christ brings. And the New Testament is clear about us being a, a loving community. You know, if you thought that, that the New Testament was more about you and God, just, just want you to know it's about you, God, and others. It's about you, God, yes, and others. Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People will see that you're his disciples, the fruit of justification through your love for one another. James, in his book, James chapter two, I believe it is, he called loving your neighbor the royal law. Wow the royal law. You see, we cannot claim to love God if we don't love others. The two commands that Jesus gave, the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. They're, they're actually linked. It isn't me and my God. You know, justification through faith alone can make you think, oh, it's me and God. Justification through faith alone, me alone with God. No, you, to fulfill the command, the greatest command, you have to then love others as well. They are completely linked. And I agree, loving people, it's about helping people. I'm remembering that it's not all about me. I agree that the right response to receiving God's grace and love and justification is to love others, to minister it out to others, to receive love. So therefore, I also minister and express love to others. And I believe that's a fitting response to this. But I did have a question, and I will answer it for you, hopefully. Hopefully. How do we motivate ourselves to love others? I know we need to do it. And probably you're thinking, thanks, John. Yeah, you're telling me I've got to love people. Tell me something I don't know, I know. Heard this before and that's okay. It's what it says in the text. So I've got to go, I've got to go by what it says in, in Galatians 5 today. But it did get me thinking, how do we motivate ourselves? How do we motivate ourselves to love one another? Because it's a hard thing to do at times. I don't know if you found it, but at times I find it hard. Someone once said this, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. (laughs) (laughs) Interestingly, when we look at this command, in Jewish ideology, there are different opinions around how you understand this command to love your neighbor. Now, the traditional view is love your neighbor as you love yourself, yeah? So as much you would love yourself, love your neighbor, or treat those how you would treat people how you would wanna be treated, yeah? That's a traditional view. It's also, Jesus kind of says that as well in the, in the gospels, excuse me. And I think it's a really good interpretation and I would agree with it completely. And there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, I'll probably say it's the traditional view and it's really, really good. The original command though to love your neighbor is actually, some of you may know this, is actually rooted in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19 verse 18, this is what it says. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. What's interesting in that wording there is that that last phrase, as yourself, it literally is translated as this. In the Hebrew, it means like yourself. Yeah, so probably it still means means the same thing if you look at it that way as yourself, like yourself, well, it still means the same thing. But with that in mind, apparently another way to interpret this, it, this command in view of that is this. You shall love your neighbor who is similar to yourself. Who is similar to yourself. And supporting this interpretation, if you go a few lines down, keep with me, to Leviticus 19.34 is this instruction given to Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. It says this, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself for you were foreigners in Egypt. And so hopefully you're keeping with me. Put it plainly, it's this. You shall show love to your foreigners in your land because they're actually like you because you were once foreigners in Egypt. In fact, you were under slavery in Egypt. So therefore you will, you, you have to see that you love them because you're similar to them. And so what the idea of this is, is this, you should have empathy for them when you realize how similar your situation is to them. You should have empathy for people when you see that. Now, the idea of comparing your neighbor to yourself might not be an earth-shattering thing for you today, but look at how it reveals maybe some of the wisdom of this command. When you are angry with your neighbor and want to get even with them or want to devour them, what it's saying is, just remember, you sometimes are the same way. Yeah? You sometimes can be like them. You sometimes can be similar to them. You know, I've seen this even in my own life. Just to give a little bit of a silly example, I'm, you know, in my family, there's a member of my family and I love them, they're, they're great. They're not in church, so I can share this story, it's fine. But it, it, it's just one of these things, I just, it just, it's just a little example that will hopefully help us. And I, I love them, but I would always try and make arrangements to meet up with them. I'd say, yeah, should we meet up? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's meet up. Like two weeks out, let's meet up. Put it in the diary. Yeah, got it in the diary. A week out, come back. We're still meeting up. Yeah, yeah, still meeting up already. And I'm like getting food and everything, trying to make arrangements. I'm making all these things happen so that I can accommodate this day. And pretty much every time with this person, on the day, on the day, yeah, you're going, oh, because you know, you know get a test. Sorry, can't make it now. And I know I'm a Christian and I'm meant to have grace. (laughs) But I look at that and I'm like, yes, Jack did it. (laughs) I made all these arrangements, bought food. I shaped my life this week around you to accommodate that. And all I get is, sorry, can't make it now. But you know, the funny thing about it is this, is not every time, but sometimes I realize this, I do it. (laughs) Not all the time, but I realize that I cancel on people as well sometimes. And so who am I to judge? Who am I to get angry and devour and have unforgiveness against them? Even the other week, we were trying to make arrangements with some of our good friends. And I remember, I was like, they were like, you still meeting up? I was like, yeah, yeah, still meeting up. And then literally it dawned on me on that day, I don't think I can make it. I realized I'd double booked. And it was a genuine mistake. Remember, freedom to fail, yeah? There's a freedom to fail. And they were really gracious. And it just reminded me again, it just, it humbled me. You know, when you realize at times that you're sometimes flawed and sometimes, I say guilty of the same sins as others, you realize that you shouldn't bear grudges, but you should forgive and love people instead. And as I said earlier, God has given us a freedom to fail because we are flawed. We ourselves are unworthy and we need God's mercy. And thankfully through Christ, we have received that. That's humbling, isn't it? What Christ has done. But therefore as a fitting response, surely, surely we should be willing also to show grace and love to others. We understand that we won't always get things right, but if instead we commit to stand by each other, I invite the band up now, thank you. If we commit to stand by each other and not bear grudges and love each other instead, can you imagine what kind of a community we would be? Imagine how fruitful that would look. Imagine what kind of community it would be. People would wanna join us who are not part of it. Yes, they come through faith in Christ, but then they would look at the fruit of that community and go, I definitely wanna be part of that they love people and they care for people and they don't hold grudges. And I think that's how we're supposed to be, to gladly, in some ways, gladly bear each other's burdens. Doesn't mean that we get walked all over, but we are gladly bearing each other's burdens, especially in the body of Christ. And finally, my third point, very quick point now, as we come into finish, this new obedience is empowered by the Spirit. It is empowered by by the Spirit. I'm not going to say too much on this because Gabriel, our youth pastor, next Sunday is going to be focusing on this aspect of Galatians 5. So I don't want to take any of his his opportunity to say things that he wants to say, but simply to say, we obey, again, not even in our own strength, but through the power of the Spirit. We don't obey in our own strength. It's not a try harder gospel church, but through the power of the Spirit. The Spirit applies the law to our hearts writing the law on our hearts every day the spirit convicts us and sanctifies us so that we can be more like Jesus the spirit produces fruit within us it's not by our own efforts but through the power of the spirit that we obey and we live a life according to who God has called us to be now that we live a life started through faith through the spirit in justification the spirit brings justification through faith in Christ and then we finish it through the spirit. He begins the work and he completes the work, the same spirit working within us. And as we come today and reflect, maybe on some things that have been said, and I don't know where you are today with this, and hopefully it's encouraged you or made you think. Just wanna encourage us today to remember that God has called us to a new obedience, which gives us freedom. But also holds a strong responsibility as well as his church. What a privilege it is to know him, but what a privilege it is to represent him, amen? As his people. And as we finish, I just wanna encourage, I wanna ask us all to stand together. I'm just gonna pray for us. As we continue in this series and we look at this idea of freedom, we would continue to understand and appropriate this truth that God has called us to a new obedience an obedience which is rooted in faith in Him, in the Spirit and continues in the Spirit and one that is expressed in love and not by our own works, but through what Christ has done, expressed in a response to His amazing gospel. Lord God, I thank you today for being with us. I thank you for your word today, which reminds us Lord, you've called us to a new obedience Lord. And I thank you Lord, that what you have started, you will bring to completion in our lives. Lord, we, we thank you for the root of justification, which is Christ. And I thank you that, and that puts on us a good responsibility then to bring the fruit of justification, which is living holy for you, to live by your command, to live by your ways, Lord. And I pray today for all of us, where again, maybe we've tried to do things in our own strength, to live a gospel out of our own sense of worth, out of our own sense of works, Lord. I pray, help us now even now, to lean into you, Holy Spirit, to obey based on what you will do within us, to obey, Lord, because it's out of who we are and whose we are, that we obey in response to our identity in Christ, that we would know today that we are not a sinner, but we are saints, Lord, holy ones in you, called to live for you, called to do works for you, to express who we already are. So I pray, Lord, give us grace for this, Lord. I pray as well for those, Lord, that maybe have been struggling with sin today. We pray, that would you break them free? Break them free from the power of any sin, Lord, and remind them today that even though that things may have happened and mistakes may have been, have been made, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, you would show them that you are their great restorer today that you won't give up on them because that's the amazingness of your grace. So Lord, we come today humbly before you. We say thank you and we thank you for your freedom and we thank you for who you've called us to be in Jesus' name, amen.